Productions. Yes! Welcome back to Go Deep the Podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we have an opinion like we have a clue. Thank you for coming back. And here's your host, John Nothing Doe. Oh, yes. Another day, another dollar. At least for some of us, we have a great show in hand for you. We have a very special guest, someone that's not even on this side of the earth. If you haven't heard of this individual, I'm telling you, go to Indigo, go to Chapters, go to whatever bookstore you have, because I'm telling you, after you hear this interview, you're definitely going to want to talk to this individual or listen to this individual, uh, rather. On the show today, PJ Brady. <laughs> How are you, buddy? Crushing it, John. Crushing oh, it. Man. Thank you. I had to like stop for a second because I'm like, Brady Bunch, Brady Bunch. I don't know why I want to say your name wrong. I have this problem with everybody, so it's not just you. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on board. No, I appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate you having me. And to the listeners, hi there. I hope, uh, I hope we can do you some justice. Yeah, no, no, I'm definitely, I'm hoping I can do you justice. So you have a very interesting book, as I was kind of alluding to in the first 10 seconds, and I definitely want to divulge into that. But first of all, I just want a little bit of a background of you. So we were talking a little bit off air, and you were telling me that uh, you're originally from the U.S., and you were saying mm-hmm. in, in Buffalo, is this correct? Yeah, just uh, south of, uh, grew up in Jamestown, New York. Oh, wow. So you were very close, and uh, how did you like living in the U.S.? Was this something that uh, you really loved, or you really love where you're living now? Now. I mean, kind of a mix. I mean, growing up in Western New York, I mean, it was all farmland where we were at. Uh, I had a father who traveled a lot for work. Yeah. So I would hear stories when he would go to Ireland and Singapore and he'd get on late night calls with Asia. And so I always thought that that was very cool, but I didn't really have my first outside of North America experience until I was 21 years old. So, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so when I was living there, I didn't even consider is, is America a cool place to live or is it not a cool place to live? It just was and knew nothing else. And then when I started traveling, I became aggressively aware of how little I knew about the world. And the cure to that was travel. So when I first started traveling, it was uh, in 1998. And I traveled with an international musical actually called Up With People. And it took 150 college student aged people. You travel around the world for a year. You live in host families. You do community service. And essentially, it's a leadership program that helps you see the world and bridge or build bridges of cultural understanding, which is really cool. So then started living. Uh, I got to knew that I wanted to study abroad, wanted to study international politics, just because, again, I knew so little about the world. I was like, I need to expand my horizons yeah. here. That's when I moved to Belgium. And I, uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and now I'm here. That's great. Do you find yourself wanting to travel back just to kind of like reminisce in a, in a sense with uh, some of your old friends and stuff? Sure. I mean, I get back to the U.S. at least twice a year. Sometimes it's for work. Sometimes it's for personal. Obviously, my family is still there. My sister and my mom and nieces and nephews and things. And uh, here's a news break I haven't shared publicly yet is the goal is to actually move back to America okay. in in the next couple of years with the girls. I've got three little girls who right now are ages 13, 11, and 7. And we've been living in Belgium for 18 years all together. And we want to raise them in both cultures. And so my wife is Belgian, so they're Belgian Americans. And so, yeah, in the near future, hopefully we'll be jumping back onto the other side of the pond. That sounds crazy. Do you think, and I know before we jump into the book here, do you think that's going to be a, a massive culture change? Like I know to visit is one thing, but to like live in a new country, especially for them, because they only know Belgium, right? So to come over 
to the U.S. other than visits and stuff, that must be that's going to probably be very uh, scary. I guess is the best way to explain it. It's huge. It's huge. And it, here's the thing: especially, I, I mean, my wife and I have both lived in America uh, together for a while and at separate points. And people like to we talk about this a little bit in the book. People like to joke about culture shock. Like, oh, I traveled to somewhere else. I had a, I had culture shock, and culture shock for them might be, you know, I tried pickle herrings on the street of Amsterdam or something like that. Where actual culture shock is a very real thing where people they have a breakdown of what their understanding of society can be and what they've been taught when they experience something in such a deep level somewhere else and i fully anticipate that for my little girl to say hey we've always known this and they come in and they find something different that being said what i've also find i moved around a lot as a kid i don't remember all the times i think it's up to i think i've done 18 to 19 moves in my life many of them before i was the age of 12 and what i found was moving is an amazing way to reinvent yourself because the people in the place that you're going have no expectations of you as a human. So there was parts of me as a kid that I didn't like about me. Ran with the wrong crowd in some places and just, I said, well, I get to move and nobody knows me here. So I can be anyone now that I want to be. Whereas if you're raised and you grow up in the same town always, it's almost like you have a reputation that has followed you. Yeah. And it's so hard to break what other people think of you. Whereas when you move, it's a fresh start you know with with incredible potential in there so there's goes both there's going to be a fear component there's going to be a culture shock component and there's going to be a holy crap this is amazing of yeah. all the things i get to learn and be and grow as a human and as a character for all of us you know you know i have a lot in common with what you're talking about because in my life i've already moved 14 times in society i feel like it's not a terrible idea to move and i feel like we're we're stuck in a society that wants you to be complacent almost in a sense it's like you lived in this house all the way, uh, you know, from zero to 18. And then you only go over here and like, you know what I mean? Like when you do that, I feel like it creates more people that are too afraid of change. They become complacent and they become yeah. okay with things. Right. So I think that yeah. life experience for you has definitely worked well in your favor. And it's, and it's great. And I think a lot of people would be more embraceive of change had they lived a life similar to yourself and myself. And I think what you're going to do for your daughters is going to be absolutely amazing because it's going to like break that, that societal thing where it's complacency. Like you'll only be comfortable if you're in the same place kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And that's, there's a couple sides of it. One is there's so many people who say, well, don't you want your daughters to have, you know, better roots in one place? And I'm like, quite frankly, the people that I've known are the most interesting. The change makers in the world are people who have had to struggle at a young age over something. Now that can be in a very unhealthy way. You look at some of the like world leader, like people, they've had to go through torment and torture and struggle and all these things through poverty, through whatever it is. And they come out of the other side better. Now we don't want to put our kids through that, obviously. Yeah. And at the same time, if you can create environments where kids are challenged and they feel not unsafe, but unsure and create these opportunities for them to learn, they become much more resilient in other things. You know, like for some kid who, God forbid, they had to go through an abusive home growing up. If something happens to them and it's no big, like it's a small thing. It's like, look, what I just went through, this is nothing. I can handle this. Yeah. Whereas if a kid went through nothing and they have to handle something small and they start freaking out because they've never had to, had to handle any sort of challenge in their life, create the moments of challenge, create those safe environments where they can be uncomfortable and safe 
and let them learn and grow and fail and struggle and do all those things. We're not doing our kids any favors by putting safety nets under them all the time and not creating environments for them to struggle in. Agreed. I couldn't agree more with that statement. So let's talk about this book. So this book, uh, Brave, Smart, Kind, I actually found very entertaining. I've not completely finished it as much as I'd love to tell you I have. It just with my timing, obviously, I, I'm a pretty busy guy myself, just like you. But I got to tell you, <laughs> yeah, that, no uh, you know, the way you start off the book where, you know, your daughters are very true and raw, you know, with the whole uh, scene you painted with the uh, coloring book or uh, paint by Noel's book, <laughs> the water flying and yeah. your daughter shooting off those amazing cuss words. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. They can drop f bombs. They were dropping. They were all dropping f bombs at the age of five, and it's my fault. No, you know, it's, <laughs> it's completely my fault. But you know, I think you know, as much as some people might disagree with me, I think that's actually healthy, right? Because you have a chance to like correct it right from the get go and work with them and make them understand that these words only work in such a way, almost like an emergency situation. It's like if you say this by chance. Mm. I get this and you hurt yourself, whatever, but it's like kids do exactly what they see as you explained in your book. And it's, that's exactly what they, they did. And it was harm harmless and nobody got hurt. Right. And it was just like, it's comedic. And I would have done the exact same thing by laughing. You got to turn away so they don't see it. Well, here's a side note. I see there's some, um, there's a, some, People that I've worked with, uh, where are they from? Cincinnati, Ohio. They're called Mike and Debbie Gardner. They run something called the Survive Institute. They were uh, cops in Cincinnati, both of them, for a while. And one of the things that they've done is they do a safety course for kids where they say, okay, if the worst happens, if whatever, if let's say some adult grabs you, like what should you do? And they said, never yell help, 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 or anything like that because people don't really respond to that. Teach your kids to say every swear word they know because that draws attention like that part of it if someone sees some kids throwing out every f f c whatever yeah. word you've got in your <laughs> vocabulary they're gonna turn and be like something's not right here yeah you know what i mean so <laughs> it was interesting we were in this session they were teaching the kids with the parents approval before they did it obviously of course, of course. like here are some of the things you need to say yeah yeah so yeah my girl's and here's the thing is my girls know three languages and in Belgium, swear words in English, not that big of a deal. A lot of kids use them and it's weird. They're going to have a culture shock when they go to the U.S. and drop some language in like school and they'll be like, um, excuse me, madam. <laughs> we don't speak like that here. I'm like, oh boy. And they go for recess and everybody's speaking like that, right? So that's just that's, right, exactly. that's the ironic part about <laughs> school, our, our school systems here in North America, right? I, f I feel like they're very similar uh, in Canada and in uh, the USA. So your book here, you have a lot of, you have three very big inspirations in your household that helped you create mm -hmm. this book. What was the driving factor that you were like, you know what, I got to create this book? Sure. Well, and it, I call myself an accidental author because here's the thing, authors have processes. <laughs> I was like, I'll write a chapter a day. I'll do these things. I did not have that. Uh, I've worked in leadership organizations and I've done leadership trainings and leadership coaching and that for a long time. And uh, I was traveling around with another nonprofit that helped entrepreneurs grow their businesses. And I'd go in and I'd, we talk a lot about values and leadership. And so what we did is we talked these leaders about, I was like, if you want to run a good team, make sure you're, you're authentic. And from that authenticity, you've got to do it from a values perspective. So we'd have so many conversations about values. And what I learned from these leaders was that their values were shaped at a very young age. So you go and I'd be having these conversations. These leaders would be in their 40s, 60s. And a lot of them were having this values conversation for the first time. And I'd you know, go through the process, find out what they stand for. And then I'd say, okay, well, where did that come from? And they'd say, 
my mother, my father, a teacher, a coach, a community, uh, my band instructor, whatever that, that was. But it was always shaped at a young age. And then experiences would start to mold those in different directions as we got older. And so I said to myself, I was the father of two girls at that time. And I said to myself, if we know that values are shaped at a young age, why is it that the first time that they're having these values conversations are when they're in their 40s, 50s, and 60s at a work event? If we know where they come from, why aren't we doing that with more intention? So as any good parent would do, I use my kids as guinea pigs. (laughs) And I was like, all right, let's see how this goes. And so I said, all right, I want to raise them with values. But then we said, all right, well, what are the values that I want to instill in them? And I didn't want to be so overly prescriptive because I don't need my kids to be mini me's, even though they are in a lot of good and bad ways. Of course. I want them to be able to, to, to be themselves, you know? So what could I do where I'm not trying to brainwash my kids, but I am trying to get them to understand what values are, where decisions come from, what you stand for, what you should do, what are the actions and habits that come from those values? And I said, all right, let me just start with what I am sick of in the world. It didn't take me long, John. It probably should have. It didn't take me long, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But I said, all right, well, what am I sick of? And the first thing that I am tired of in the world is people using fear to control other people. Yes. And we see it so frequently in politics, media, marketing, teaching, parenting. I mean, how many times have I said, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Where in my mind, I'm thinking, this is consequence and action. No, what this is, is I'm scaring my kid into action. I still do it, by the way. This is, I, by the way, just so I have a caveat, I am not a perfect parent. I never claim to be. I mess up more than anyone. I just write about it <laughs> and try to learn from it. So we use it. We use it all the time. And here's the thing. I want my kids to understand fear. I never want to say that fear doesn't exist. No fear was the stupidest bumper sticker in the history of bumper stickers ever. So there is fear. It's real. There are things to be afraid of and there's things not to be afraid of. Right. So I said, I, I don't want my kids to be controlled by fear. So the first thing is I want to teach them to be brave. All right. One. (laughs) The second thing that I'm sick of in the world is people walking around with devices in their hand, not questioning anything, not paying attention, digesting any bit of information as fact and never (laughs) thinking, hmm, where did that come from? Who's saying it? Why are they saying it? What's the source? So I said, I want my girls to ask questions. I want them to think for themselves. I want their critical thought in their lives, curiosity, creativity. I want them to understand their mind and make sure that they're using it. So I want them to be quote unquote smart. Yeah. And then the last thing I was sick of in the world is the lack of kindness. And this might be a little bit fair because I feel like if you look for kindness, you find it in amazing places. It's all over. But in mine, if I also see any issue that's going on in the world, can we just, if we just entered in with a little bit more grace, if we just entered in with a little bit more understanding, a little bit less judgment, if we could be kind to each other, more then those problems go away too. So I said, I want, I want my daughters to not only be kind to others, I want them to be kind to themselves too. Yes. So I'm like, all right, I got three brave, smart, kind. And then from that, then we, I was like, all right, well, what brave means to me isn't the same thing that brave means to everyone else. It's not going to be the same thing that brave means to my kids. So I, I need to define this. So we started going through these ideas of, all right, well, what does brave mean to us as parents with me and my wife? What is, what are we seeing in society? Like, what are the things that we need to do to help our kids overcome? And we did that with the other values too, to start to define those better uh, so that they understand them. And then we put them up all over the house. Like I use a ton of chalk paint, like the paint where you get from Ikea, you can go over the walls and then write on it with chalk. 
I put it so much over the house, my wife had to go repaint over some things. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I heard while that. While I was book. gone. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine you come back and you're like, oh, I guess I went a little overboard, eh? <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Sorry, sweetie. Uh, right. So um did that. And then the gold dust here is how we would discuss them. So when I started, my girls were just four and two. My Now my eldest is 13. Holy cow, has it been that long? <sighs> I haven't said that out loud <laughs> in a long time. Uh, so we, we started to discuss them. So it started as me just picking up the girls from school and say, instead of saying, how was your day? And the same answer we get all the time, it's fine, it's okay, whatever. I got in and I was like, all right, well, who are you kind to today? What did you witness that was someone doing something smart where they had to use their head, right? Was there any fear in your day? Was there any difficulty or something you had to overcome? So we started having those conversations. And even to this day, now my youngest at the table, if we're just not having a conversation at the table, she's like, can we do Brace My Kind today? And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do it. And then we go through our day and say there was, here was one thing that we witnessed that was kind, one thing we witnessed that was smart, one thing that we witnessed that was brave. And it's just changed the way because right now for my girls, the kindness stuff for my seven-year-old might be, oh, I, I had to, you know, I fell at school and I was crying and I had to get up or something like that. Oh, that's fantastic. But if you look at society and if you specifically if you have daughters, like you look at women in society, it's like, what are some of the things they're going through? They're going through and to hear statistics on how many women have faced some sort of sexual harassment to talk about how women need to stand up and say to their boss, hey, you're treating me different than you're treating our male colleagues. Like that's a level of bravery. Of course. That I, I'm not expecting that out of my girls. I hope at some point, I hope they don't need that. And I know that they will. We all do. Yeah. So I hope at that point they say, this is how I talk about it. This is the language I learned at home. This is the discomfort I need to sit in so that I can have that necessary conversation. What happened when kind is you're getting abused in a relationship, but you feel you can't leave because that person needs you. That's a self-destructive sort of kindness. Let's talk about that. Yes. Kindness isn't all good. <laughs> like you get anything you take too far becomes negative. So let's talk about how you're kind to yourself and talk how the courage to get out of that relationship or even have the conversation. So there's such a range of things, but when you boil down all values in humanity, this is something that I it blew me away when I stumbled upon it. Like in this I feel like this self discovery process has been going on a long time, but I came up with these values in for my family. For as a father, this is what I wanted to do. But then my job was still leadership. So I was going out into these organizations with these leaders to talk about values in their company. And I had a list before I did Brace My Kind. I just had a list of like 300 values. And we'd go through an exercise. What do you identify with? All of that. And it wasn't until after I started putting on that Brace My Kind lens that I was using with my kids that I looked at that list again with new eyes. And when I looked at it, I saw that every single value I could put a B an S or a K next to, to say, this is how somebody overcomes. This is how somebody critically thinks. This is how somebody's kind. Every value in the world is either brave, smart, or kind. Yes. And that's something that the more research I've done into, it's, I stumbled upon it accidentally. Maybe my mind was pre-programmed because of society and the things that we've learned from, I could go way back into like Confucius times, into Greek philosophy times, and they keep going back to the same thing. And all of it is how do we overcome? How do we, how do we critically think? And how do we treat people? So that just kind of blew my mind when I figured out, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I really love this, the example this relevant, you had um, in your book of Brave, Smart, and Kind and how it's all around us, even in our entertainment. And I, and I, and I really got like drawn back when you were talking about that because you were talking about Disney in particular, please don't sue me, Disney. 
<laughs> and your examples of every single Disney movie was pretty much bang on. So here I am now talking to my 12 year old or my eight year old. I'm like, Hey, I want you to like, this is what our upcoming goals are. Uh, shortly is that I want them to tell me those same things. Cause I feel like if they can acknowledge it the way that you acknowledged it at an earlier age, like you're doing with your girls that they're definitely just going to, they're, they're going to be on a big winning um, spree all the way through their life. You know, no matter like what kind of setbacks they have, I feel like being able to acknowledge and see those, those brave, smart and kind things will help them stop them from maybe making a bad decision maybe help them when they see someone that's in need kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And even from my side of it, it yeah, as a father, I still have my negative values. I still have the things that, that trigger me from my childhood and my relationship with my dad and things that I see in my world. And I, I have a long fuse and a big bang. Like I, I can tolerate a lot of stuff, but like if my kids ever go after my wife and say, you never do anything for us, like younger me goes into like my dad and my mom and I'm like, excuse me, what did you say? It's like, I can, and then, here's what happens is I go into my negative space. I do things as a father, whether it's yelling or poor judgment or whatever it is. Here's what I got. As soon as I started learning about values and started living that life, according to those, I get to recognize it a lot faster. I get to respond to it and then I get to recover from it. So those things, it's, I know my kids are going to make bad choices. Shoot. I hope that they do. Right. <laughs> like, the more it's, it's going to be in the younger, the not better. dangerous. Right. But um, it's like, all right, now that you made that bad choice, how do you recognize it? How do you respond to it? And then how do you recover from it? Let's have those conversations so that we're not, so that even from a standpoint of what our kids carry, every kid has some sort of trauma. Like, hey, parents, you will traumatize your children. I promise you it'll happen. How do they recognize it? Even the negative things about me and my girls, I feel like I've given them some sort of like superpower here because they'll come up to me and they'll be like, dad, it sounds like you are. And I'm like, you're not my therapist. Get out of my room. <laughs> but, but they can come to me and like that. It's like that part. It's, you weren't being very kind when you said that. And I was just like, okay, thank you for telling me. And if I respond to that defensively or if I cut out like their courage to bring that up to somebody, like that's, that's me crippling them, you know? I need to be able to be open for that. But because we've done the work, the recognition is so important because so many people don't recognize when they're in those situations or what they've done wrong or any of that. And then how do you get past it? So yeah, I, sorry, through the storytelling, through it's Disney, it's movies, but then like where I first found that, <laughs> this is part of the book, that it blew my mind again. I This has blown my mind so many different times is we were watching Wizard of Oz and I know we're talking, at some point kids are going to be like, I've never seen Wizard of Oz, but at least hopefully for the people listening, it's like, oh yeah, Wizard of Oz. So Dorothy was going down this, this path and um, she comes across these three characters in the road and she comes across the scarecrow who says he wants to have a brain, right? Feels like he's dumb. Comes across the cowardly lion who, you know, pretends to be very brave, but then Toto barks and runs off. He wants to see the, the wizard to get courage. And then you've got the tin man who wants to be kind. He wants to have a heart. So they're seeking out these. And I was like, I cocked my head to the side. I was like, huh, look at that. One wants to be brave. One wants to be smart. One wants to be kind weird coincidental <laughs> how funny that is and then the more we started diving into the stories the books movies all of that there was always every single story has a component of brave smart and kind because it just keeps it just kept coming back and i was like all right this is just weird now it's weird now i feel like either like i'm just seeing it in places where it doesn't exist because that's where my mind's at but there's something to it and then when i started diving in it 
to it more, I would find things from Confucius where he said the three moral qualities of man are wisdom, justice, and uh, bravery. It's like, those are the three. So that was brave, smart, kind, justice in being fair to people, right? Yeah. And then when you look back at Stoicism, it was it was the same thing. They said, you have to be courageous, you have to be wise, and you have to be just. And I was like, all right, let's see where else this goes in history. And then you look at how Greek philosophy uh, influenced Christianity, how it influenced uh, Islam, how it influenced all these other religions. And then you look at like the tenets of Christianity and those go through and they are literally brave, smart, and kind throughout the Bible. And I, like, I'm not a very religious man. I there's zero judgment for those who are. But when you look at that's where our education systems came from. That's where a lot of the moral compasses that people are are adhering to come from. I don't think that I invented Brave Smart Kind at all. I, I think it was something that was in my head. So as soon as I sat down and gave it some thought, and I was like, oh, that's what I was sick of in the world is not seeing these values. I didn't invent the values. They just came so naturally because it's almost like we have been brainwashed is the wrong word. No one put those into our heads. Like this has happened so frequently in humanity that we have witnessed it over and over and over and over again that it's there. So now because we know it's there, if we pay attention to it, if we can use it for a force for our own lives, once you understand something, then you get to use it. So what we're out there doing is trying to help people understand it. And then it's up to you to live that life with greater intention, knowing that this is almost like a force like gravity that's around us. If we just understand it, we can use it. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Um, I'm going to take one step back just because you brought me back to my childhood when you talked about The Wizard of Oz. And it was actually kind of odd. We we were in a school play. Sorry, it was a singing play. And I actually played the Cowardly Lion, oddly enough. So when you brought, nice. when you were saying that, it just kind of brought me back to it, right? It's, uh, it was kind of a weird moment. I kind of said some words I wasn't saying, I was supposed to say, and I had like a headset with like a, a mic back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, they changed scenes. And the funny part of that is... Being a kid, I was like, what, grade seven, grade eight? So, what, 12, 13, 14? And uh, they they went a scene ahead, and I was like, what the fuck are they doing? And all of a sudden, yeah. Your mic was on, wasn't it? School trustees, (laughs) like the mayor, all these people are in the crowd. (laughs) I hear everybody laughing and clapping, and I kind of look back, and I'm like, what are they laughing about? And they're like, shut off his mic, shut off his mic. But yeah. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. As soon as you did that, that's, no, uh, that's that's hilarious. Sound people, yeah, right. That, those poor, that I <laughs> those poor people. Funny. So, going further in the book, you talk about the struggles with your dad. Did you want to share some of that today with us? Sure. And I mean, this was so. I started doing the brave, smart, kind stuff. Uh, 2014 is when I started getting into it with my kids. Yeah. Um, and I was still trying to get my head around it because, like I said, I didn't I didn't go in with a plan with these values. I just started thinking about them more and started relating my leadership stuff to parenting and my parenting stuff to leadership. And so I started questioning a lot of my own values and where those came from and how those were shaped. And obviously, you need to look at, I'm not saying your parents, but your parental influencers, whether grandma, grandpas, aunts, uncles, whoever, you know, the adults that were around you when you were a kid. And so I started diving deeper into my relationship with my father. So my father and my mother got divorced when I was eight. My dad lived in California. I lived in Western New York. So it was far apart. Yep. Saw him maybe twice a year. And even at that, we didn't, this is, there was, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have any of these things. There were phone calls once in a while. Yeah. And then I would spend a couple of weeks in the holidays with, with my dad. 
And now my dad was a good human, good human, not a good father. And mostly that was his lack of presence in my life. And I could go down a huge rabbit hole. He, his father passed away when he was four years old. He didn't have a, a father figure around. There's a lot of things that I, that I could, I needed to come to terms with and understand. Absolutely. And at the same time, understand he wasn't a good, he wasn't a good dad and I loved him. Right. So there's lots of things that I had to go through. My father passed away in 2020. I published this book in what year is it? Uh, 2022. <laughs> and there was parts of this where I was like, I can't tell this story because my dad's alive. I can't tell this story because my dad's alive and I don't want to break his heart. He's been twice divorced, living by himself, struggling with some medical things. And I was like, I, I will leave this part out of the book. And it wasn't until he passed away unexpectedly in 2020 when I could say, I feel okay now sharing this story with the world. But yeah, my dad... He, again, good human. He had great um, relationships with um, friends at work, but not really anything outside of that. And I just struggled. He wouldn't call on birthdays. He wouldn't call on my daughter's birthdays. He never came to Belgium to show up and actually visit us over here, even though we lived here 15 years at the yeah. time. And I was just like, man, this sucks. I'm go what, what I need to do is, and I find this throughout everybody's history, is you find people that you want to emulate. You find, it's like, I would love to parent like that person parented. I want to lead like that person. Like you have your mentors and you have those incredible examples in your world of people who set that great example for you and there's some people where you say i witnessed that i lived through that i'm not going to be that yes and that's what i did with my dad is to say my dad wasn't present in our lives i am going to be present in my daughter's lives if they're going out to their sporting events i'm there if they're going to do their musicals i'm there i want to pick them up from school i want to do that and don't get me wrong this isn't a judgment of any father of course not this is me saying this is the father that i want to be and so from that side of it i learned so many lessons from my dad on this is how i want to show up for my kids and i was mad for a long time about the father that he wasn't yeah so i said this is the father that i'm going to be and i almost did it in spite of that and there's a book called, if I could mandate a book for every human to read ever, it's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Kahn. Okay. Now, it's a book that was published in 1936. And <sighs> it sounds like How to Win Friends and Influence People, like it's some sort of superficial thing. It's not. He actually goes through and it's like, this is how you genuinely connect to people. It was like the first self-help book ever. And in that, there was a poem. And it was a poem that was... First published in like Reader's Digest in the early 1900s. And it brought it out and it was talking about, it's called A Father Forget. And it's such an influential, influential poem. Go through, read it, and talk about how this father is, he's got a son who comes up and he just loves him unconditionally. And this father is always overcorrecting. It's always finding fault. It's always measuring him by this own judgment of he thinks who he should be as opposed to who he is, which is a kid. And then it goes through, and then the father at the end of this poem is sitting at his desk, and the kid walks into his office, and the father just looks up from his paper, and he's like, what do you want? Because he's just tired of the day. And we've all had those days oh, with yeah. that. It's like, go to bed. I am tired, and I am done with this day. I don't want to answer any more questions. And the dad says, what do you want? And the kid runs over, and he just hugs him, and he says, I love you. And he walks up to bed. And at that moment, that dad just feels horrible. And he says, son, I've done this. I've done you wrong. This isn't the father I want to be. Tomorrow I'm going to be the father I do want to be. So it goes through, and I still get chills from it. I still cry yeah. from it. It's a great poem. And then I, I post, I, as soon as I saw it, I printed it out. I posted it on my door. I still have it there. I, I live by that. And then when my father passed away in 2020, 
my sister and I and um, my mom and some friends went and like went through his stuff to organize his things in his house. And, and I found the stuff that he kept by his bedside, which were pictures of my girls that I would send him, birth announcements. And then he had this crumpled up piece of paper and I opened up the piece of paper. They're folded up. It wasn't like trash. It like folded up a piece of paper. <laughs> Fair enough. And I opened it up and he had the poem, A Father Forgets. He had printed it out oh, wow. and he kept it by his nightstand. And I, I never knew that. I never made that. Can I, I had no idea about this. And of course I saw this and started crying like a baby reading through this poem again. Of course. And that's the part where I was like, my dad did the best with what he could with how he was raised. I probably judge him too harshly. I probably should have had these conversations earlier. I didn't. Like, I'm not a person who lives with regret. I know that I made the best choices for me and myself and my family as I've gone along. Yeah. And I would love to have that conversation with him now. Of course. And it was of to say, well, why did you have that poem next to your bed? And I'm sure it's for the same reason that I've got it in my office printed out say we need the daily reminders we all want to be better we're all trying yeah. and struggling and if we can answer that as judgment of with uh, sorry see ourselves as parents with less judgment because there's times i put my kids to bed i'm like well i really fucked up didn't i <laughs> like I, I i didn't do that very well i was that's short, not the day I impatient here. whatever it is right exactly and there's moments where i mean we get out of those those times and we're like man i really need to show up better and the beautiful part is we can we can but we need to be able to give ourselves that grace, that lack of judgment to say, I can be better. And from my dad's side, that tied up a lot of things for me Yes. to say, let that part go in your life, still be the father you want to be. And it's okay. So yeah, my dad taught me a lot of things. And from a good point too, like he was an emotional man. Yeah. I'm not afraid to show emotion. He wasn't afraid to show emotion. Like there's things I drew from him from a positive. And there's a lot of things I say, that's not the father I want to be. So let me determine who I do want to be and create action from that. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's amazing that you can take the positives out of all that stuff and realize that, you know, he's a good human being and not like internalize it, right? Obviously, we all internalize that kind of stuff, but it's so big of you and it's it's so smart of you to be able to take that chunk and say, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to do it this way and I'm going to do well with my children. And it's not in spite of him, but it's almost like an inspiration by him. So really yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. And you, like, you need to be able to accept it. There's going to be people in your lives all the time. And if their negative affects you in a positive way, then there's got to be some sort of gratitude. You don't even have to tell them, you know, to be like, Hey, thanks for being a dick. <laughs> you don't have to go that far. And at the same time, you say, hey, this created, I'm where I am because of the struggles and these hardships too. And if I didn't have those lessons, I, I, could, have, I could have been a parent that didn't have these perspectives, didn't even think to reflect on these things. So I'm a better dad because of the dad that he was. And I just need to say, all right, that's, that's what that was. Let's keep going. And that's almost full circle to what you were saying about, you know, some form of trauma. It doesn't have to be massive trauma, but the trauma of you not having that, like after your parents got divorced, helped you build better you know what i mean so it's amazing yeah. just to yeah say. yeah don't hey hey parents don't just get a divorce <laughs> to <laughs> challenge your kids maybe think of other constructive ways <laughs> and if it happens like this man there's worse things to divorce there's uh thing in abusive relationships i'm thankful that my parents got divorced because they weren't happy and they weren't in a place where that they could raise people in a healthy way so sorry that was a tangent but no no that's like, that's creative challenge like being able to overcome is an important thing for a kid and what i've told i've heard this before is to say divorce doesn't ruin kids it's the communication after the divorce. Like yes. there's healthy divorces that make kids much stronger and they realize things, but it's the parents who talk behind the other parents back and talk negatively about them and deal in revenge and tactics and uh, 
misinformation and all those things. Yeah, that can definitely hurt a kid. And kids are resilient. So let's just help them in those challenges and help them build that resilience. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I almost feel like, you know, when there is a divorce, I feel like there should be almost like an automatic system in place that therapy is set up and everybody's going through it so that this can like, cause the therapy is really the taboo. It's the bad word in the room. And I feel like the more everybody actually does therapy, they, they come to realize that it's so important for us because we're social animals, right? We need to be able yeah. to get that out and, and like work through our stuff. And well, here's what I found even so uh, I won't say for my kids, one of them we've taken to see a therapist and it's an animal therapist. So it's on a farm and got horses and stuff like that. And she actually really likes going. And it's just because she was struggling to get out some emotions and she would use some things, some language with us that were like, Hey, it doesn't sound like you're okay. But at the same time, she wasn't opening up completely to us. And we have a friend who, um, she's a psychologist. And she's like, well, maybe you want to go talk to this other woman. And she's flourished. And here's the thing is right now, she saw a therapist several years ago. Now she's probably out of all of our kids, the most equipped when it comes to arguments to handle them in a healthy way and to use good language and to use good self-talk because she learned this from somebody who wasn't a parent who she could trust, who's a professional in teaching kids how to use positive language. Like, it's okay to say, hey, I need help in this. Here's the stupidest, here's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, and we're all freaking guilty of it, is if you go into any profession that has any sort of risk, any sort of danger, any sort of anything, you get training, right? Yes. You go through some safety training, you get certifications, you go through risk management, you go through all the things to learn to be good at what you are because of the implications of it. And nobody goes through parent training before becoming a parent. Very true. I don't get it. <laughs> and I do get it, obviously. But that's like, it's like, oh, well, I had parents, so obviously I can be a parent. Well, no, yeah, <laughs> there, there are things like if we could just learn some of the stuff prior to getting into that, learning the lessons of everyone else who's come before us, it's not like, oh, well, my mom was a good mom, therefore I'm going to be a good mom. Or my dad was a good dad, therefore I will be too. Yeah. Like it's no, there's nothing shameful about going to a therapist. There's nothing shameful about learning about parenting before you become a parent because most people who go through some sort of parental education are because they feel like they're failing as a parent. They're like, ooh, I need this parenting class because I feel like I'm messing up here. Oh, my kid is going through this and I feel like I'm messing that up. I want to go to a parenting class. My kid's yelling. I want to change that behavior. I'm going to go to a parenting class. Hey, all of these things exist. Parenting's a struggle. Yeah. And it's okay to find help, man. Just the egos that get into it and um, the shame that follows people from saying, I need, I need help in this. It's hard. Yeah, it is. Hey, parenting's tough. Life changes are tough. Career struggles are tough. Helping people, especially our kids, finding language around that. And if we can acknowledge, hey, I'm not always the person to do that. Great. Fantastic. Go get help. It's definitely true. And I, and I find that, um, you know, I'm not spiritual. Oh, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious is what I meant to say. But a lot of my friends that are Catholic or even in other religions, before you get married, they have like a marriage course. And I feel like everybody right, right, right. could definitely benefit from something like that. And I, and I mean, I don't think it'll stop divorce and, you know, to create this trauma between the kids and the parents and whatever. But I think it'll definitely help people to be able to navigate things a lot easier and like really put the perspective of like the marriage, the kids. And if you are going to divorce, like, how do maybe, yeah, like, how are we going to do this now that we're just partners for our children? 
not partners to each other, right? Yeah, and that's the thing is, there's so many people is not to harp on the divorce thing. It was like, oh, well, I don't want to get divorced. It's like, well, divorce is just that's the afterthought of a very unhealthy relationship. Like, yes. what you want is to say, I don't want an unhealthy relationship because you can be in an unhealthy relationship and still stay married. Yes. Really, that's, it's let's let's create these healthy environments for ourselves just to be in a great relationship and create the healthy environments between our spouse with our kids because here's the thing is uh, also learn the hard way you can have a great relationship with yourself and then when it comes to be, be, being parents do two opposite things because you believe opposite things about parenting and you're like I thought we were on the same page about this. I thought we were here together and then mess that part up where it's not you per se, it's not them per se, but it's the way in which you're, it's, it's, a, it's, it's co-parent. They say co-parenting between divorces. No, co-parenting is you're in the same house, you're married, figure this stuff out so that you can raise your kids in a certain way. And that's what we try to do with Brave Smart Kind stuff is, is we try to help parents have the conversation when their kids are young or even before they get them to say, this is what we believe because everyone, everyone's Brave Smart and Kind is different. Yep. Don't just use Brave Smart Kind. Like say, this is how we're going to be courageous. This is how we're going to show up every day. This is how we want to think and the perspectives we need to consider and all this. This is how we're going to treat each other and then create that environment so that when you're raising kids, a lot of that stuff comes into play. And because you've had the conversations in advance, then you get to lean on them. But if you're having the conversation while a crisis is happening, we all do it. Yeah. And you fudge your way through and you figure it out and you come out better, hopefully. When you can do that in advance, you're in such a better place. And if you can't figure it out, start to ask yourself the questions, contact us by the book, uh, com, whatever it is, is let's go through these conversations to say, this is how we can start to come together as a team family unit to be in a healthy space, to have the right conversations, to get to a part where, where it just makes a little bit more sense. That, that's hitting the nail right on the head as far as I'm concerned. So moving further in your book, what would you say is your favorite part of the book that you wrote? Brave, smart, kind. Um, I don't know that I've ever even been asked that question. The the like the early the I like the beginning of the book, like yes. like telling the stories of the girls. It's um, with the bubbles, sharing how with the bubbles <laughs> by the book. I promise you, even if it's just that story, I feel like it's it's worth it to read the book. It's 100%. the first chapter. It's the one we open with, but it's it's all of the things that I get to share that I have failed with, failed at as a father and what I've learned from it and how I'm trying to help others. Like those parts where it's what I detest when I read a book, I underline these and cross things out. I'm, I'm a page turner. I fold doggier pages and stuff like that. <laughs> I so dislike it when someone comes in and says, I've got it all figured out and here's the secret to life. I much prefer the parts where it's, here's my experience. Here's where I've messed up. Here's where I've learned from it. And here's where I still mess up and I'm trying to figure things out. Yeah, I don't like the people who come in and it's like, I'm the expert of all things. And here's the, it's like, all right, easy, easy there, man. I like to share those stories of failure. I learn so much from them when other people share theirs. And then as the more that we can talk about how things go wrong and how we recover from them and the lessons that we learn, maybe my stories help other people to not make those mistakes or at the very least recognize those mistakes and recover from them so much faster. So all the stories that we get to point back to with the parts where I say, Hey guys, I really messed this part up. Here's the lesson that I learned. <laughs> I really that like for me is, humble, is, is fun. How humble you are about these mistakes because I think a lot of people don't look at parenting maybe the same way as they look at success. And I think, Failure is a big part of success, right? And you got to fail as often as you can. It doesn't mean failure doesn't mean catastrophic, like, you know, emergency room. 
It just means that that didn't that interaction didn't go the way I thought, and this is how I maybe want to do it in the future. Is basically what you're pointing out, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. If fail, fail. Try to fail forward as often as you can, and when you're failing, recognize that you're failing. And here's the thing: is other as soon as you're able to do that as a human, your kids see it. And if your kid is one of those where they're afraid to fail, which this again, not judgment. My kids also don't like to fail. Yeah. If I can get them comfortable in the, oh, I didn't do what I thought was going to, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. That didn't go according to plan. I wanted something different. That's not what it was. Like, all right, hey, sit in that failure, recognize it. Now let's go and think about it. And what are we going to do now? Does that require an apology? Does it require a learning lesson? Does that require a quote on the wall? Does that require, what is that going to take to get you past that? Because if as a dad, I can go to my kids and say, hey, this is how I just failed. What I've just done is I've given them permission to fail. And I've given them permission to say it's okay to fail. And from that, we get to have the conversation, this is what went wrong. Because there's so many different times in kids' lives, and I'm t- I mean, I've spoken to a lot of kids about this. I've talked to a lot of parents about this. I've talked about parents who were kids, and they're like, I couldn't tell my dad that because if I did, he would have whooped my ass. I couldn't tell my mom that because if I did, then it was going to become with a lot of judgment, and it was going to become with a lot of shame, and it was going to become a lot of guilt that they were going to throw my way. I... I hope my girls never feel that. And so we have a couple rules in my house. One is I don't get angry unless they're unkind. (laughs) If they are unkind to each other, that's what sets me off. And again, this isn't making it right. They just know that this is what happens when, when we're, so I can tolerate silly mistakes if they weren't meant to harm someone. Do you know what I mean? Like make a mistake, break something. No problem. Like kids have broken. They've broken my phone. Those are expensive. (sighs) I don't get mad at my kid for mistakes that happen. I don't get mad at my kid for failing. If they come home with a bad grade in school or whatever, it's like, all right, well, let's talk about this. Yes. If, however, they're bullying someone, if they are, like, if they know they're being mean to their mom or to their sisters or to someone else, nope, then dad comes in with a much more firmer fist. But otherwise, that's one of them. Like, you won't deal with my anger if you make a mistake. That part's okay. And even if it's a human mistake, it's to say, hey, you made that mistake. You didn't treat your mom the way that you should have. Let's talk about that. It's not like I go flying off the handle every time. It's just what's tolerable, which what isn't tolerable. Like, this is the line in the sand. And then the other part of that is they get to tell me about mine. And we create a safe space to say, if they think that I messed up or if I was unkind or whatever, you guys tell me about that. And because we've set those things up in our world, then that's great. So we have a saying, as soon as I say, how do we learn? Their response from them is, we make mistakes. And they'll say in that annoyed voice sometimes, like, they'll be mad. My daughter was making pancakes the other day for the first time by herself. She's like, Daddy, I messed them up. I'm like, sweetheart, how do we learn? She's like, we make mistakes. Did you make a mistake? Yeah. Okay, what was the mistake? Let's try to fix it. But if I can get them into that, all right, let's not feel bad about this part of it. Let's understand it. And even when it comes to relationships, like if they mess something up, if they lied about something or whatever it is, then it's it's like, all right, well, why? Let's have those conversations so that when the tough stuff comes, they're comfortable having those conversations as opposed to if they're punished all the time for the mistakes that they make, they're not going to tell you about the mistakes. No, because be if they're punished right. for the lies that they tell, they're going to keep the lies and they're going to keep doing it to protect themselves because they're scared of whatever those consequences are going to be. So it's not taking away consequences. There are consequences in of our, course. in our home. It's just their consequence isn't going to be my anger. The consequence is going to be, all right, well, what, what do you need to do here to fix this? Too? So yeah, again, guinea pigs, man. We're, <laughs> we're, I, I think this is going well so far, but yeah. uh, <laughs> no, absolutely. That's amazing. So I know you're doing 
the Brave Smart Kind seminars. Is this is correct? Yes, or you were? So we do a lot of stuff. So uh, you, we still do. I mean, there's it's kind of taking a life of its own. I didn't intend for Brave Smart Kind to go in this direction. It just started out for my girls. But we do our leadership stuff with organizations because leadership is the same way. If you can't show courage in leadership, if you can't show critical thought, if you can't show kindness in leadership, well, in our, you're not a very successful leader in our book. Um, and then, oddly enough, schools started to pick up our stuff, too, and put curriculum around that. So we've got Brave Smart Kind operating in schools in the U.S. where the teachers are running with it. And they're like, no, we love this theme, and it helps us to center our kids around values. We started using it there. And then we're using it in sports clubs also, like, to teach kids how to be better athletes and how to create a good culture to raise kids in. Yep. Because, like we said before, all our values come from all these places. Where are the places that kids are learning values? How do we help them with that? And then the last one is, yeah, with parenting and doing parenting groups uh, where we encourage parents to go through and say, like, let's talk about values. Let's talk about how you want to raise your kids. And then we try to uh, coach up from there. Which is simply amazing. Now, another another question, maybe you haven't thought this far ahead in terms of uh, your future. You have another book you're possibly thinking of writing? And is it around the same kind of theme? I know. I'm sorry. I had to ask. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, his friends are like, PJ, this is like chicken soup for the soul. But like, you can kind of apply this in so many different places. And the one is because like my, I love doing the parenting stuff. I love doing the school stuff. That one doesn't pay as much of the bills as the companies in the leadership side. So I had people who were coming up and saying, PJ, do you do this with companies? I'm like, yes, it's, that's actually the majority of my work is doing this with companies. So when I was writing the, the book for parenting, it was an eight year process. Like I just started writing down stories and I'm a, I'll show this to the camera, but you won't see it on the, on the podcast. I, I work in sticky notes. I work like all of my office is just plastered with sticky notes and uh, post it. <laughs> and I've got notebook after notebook. So I just started writing things down. So when I wrote the raising kids to be very smart kind, I essentially wrote a book and a half. And part of the book was parenting and part of the book was organizational leadership. Yeah. And when I was doing the edits, I took out all the leadership, the organizational leadership stuff and put it in a different folder. And so it's, going to be it's high time to pull that out and say oh. this is how we are raising brave smart kind leaders or creating brave smart kind leadership in organizations and teams and communities because again this isn't just a company thing this is look at your community at large like look at the your neighborhoods look at governments let's look at like everything that's interacting in a community what that looks like and if we can create environments that are courageous with critical thought and kindness, I mean, shoot, we world peace right there. If we, yeah. if we can spread that. So, so the next book is, is something around leadership for adults in communities and in companies. That's amazing. It doesn't surprise me that uh, these two, the child leadership and the leadership in uh, the future are kind of hand in hand in how you originally almost had them in the same book. So th that doesn't surprise me by any means. Outside of that, how excited are you about watching your daughters graduate, about watching them walk down the aisle when they're when they found their partner? Like you must be really excited because you're coming. You're going to start getting that in the next couple of years. Well, not the next couple of years, but down the road. Shut shortly. your mouth, John. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your mouth over there. <laughs> Let's I talk mean, about brain smart father, right now. I, right, exactly. It's like, no, I am terrified, stupid, and mean is where I'm like, I, I want to just keep them at the age that they're at. No, no, um, I'm so excited to see how my girls develop in the positive and the struggling ways and see how they deal with that adversity and how I can help them for as long as I'm here to help them do it. You know, and part of the main reason for writing the book, yeah, I would love, I'd love to help any parent who's out there to be a better parent. The biggest thing was for my girls. And so that they had my thoughts after I'd left to say, at least this is where my intention was. My dear is 
And the dedication in early on in the book is to them and to say, don't let anyone else tell you or judge you by their own brave, smart, and kind and tell you that you're not courageous or that you're not smarter, that you're not kind. That's for you to decide. And these are my guideposts. The father, not your guideposts, is it to be a better daughter. And so from that side of it, I can't wait for them to figure that stuff out. And on the other side of it, yeah, I'm terrified. I'm terrified, like, for so many things. Like, if, if uh, like, who who are they going to start bringing home? Like, when is the, the dating starts? It's like, how? where's this going to go? Where's <laughs> So all of that. I, as a father, I've got all of this. It's like, oh, yeah, I've got my shit together. <laughs> and the other is like, PJ, you have no idea. Like, as soon as my daughter turned a teenager, I was like, well, I need a new book now. Like, yeah. <laughs> I need a new book, like raising teens to be raised by kind because a lot of this stuff is changing my viewpoint on, from a teenage perspective. And a lot of it centers me and grounds me. But um, there's so many adventures that I haven't had as a parent yet. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to them, man. And they're, they're the good ones and they're going to be the hard ones. And, Quite frankly, a lot of the hard stuff that I've gone through have brought me and my family together and my daughters closer to me. So from that side of it, I, man, I try my best. And if I feel like I'm doing that, that's all you can ask. Okay. We can handle it, man. But it's that part of, I need to be able to go to bed and be like, all right, PJ, that didn't go as planned, but you did your best in that. And let's see how we do better tomorrow and do better tomorrow. And just like that, that poem father forgets said is, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not judging my girls by who I want them to be, but who they are. Yes. And right now they're 13 and they're 11 and they're seven. So that comes with mistakes. That comes with them not wanting to do dishes. That comes with them stomping up their room, saying, <laughs> I hate you. And it's happened because oh, yeah. they didn't get the phone time that they wanted or whatever it was. <laughs> and say, all right, hey, we're, we're, we're doing our best with what we know here. And if I don't, if I need to know more, I'll keep studying and I'll keep reading and I'll keep growing as a parent and that happening every day i hope you do so we can all follow along because it seems like you have a very good way of articulating that to everybody whether it's in the book or whether you're listening to the audible version which i listen to i actually uh enjoy it it actually you forget what you're doing because i can hear what you're talking about and i can feel your experiences as you're kind of going through it and it just it's well written in that regard and i hope that you understand thank that you. it's that it that it is well written thank you i sincerely appreciate that PJ, is there anything before we close this off? Is there any one thing you could think of that you'd love to tell the listener now? Well, you can. For when I wanted to make this actionable for my girl. So when I kept going through and I was, I was using brace my kind so often, I was like, it's becoming stale. Even you can't just say brace my kind all the time. Like it, it's the actions that come behind it. So I changed it. I was like, let's make it actionable. So I always tell people, like, keep your chin up, keep your brain on, keep your heart open. You got this. So. If you're struggling, hey, keep your chin up, your brain on, keep your heart open. You got this. Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't disagree with you even if I wanted to try it there, PJ. Uh, where can we find you so everybody that's listening can find you and uh, get your book? Yeah, Belgium. Come on over. Have a beer. Oh, you know. So, yeah, the book's on Amazon, Raising Kids to be Brave, Smart, Kind. We've got bravesmartkind.com. It's got a section for leaders if you're looking for organizational stuff. It's got a section for parents if you need some parenting stuff. It's got a section for teachers if you're looking for putting Brave, Smart, Kind into some sort of educational form uh, in a classroom. And so, yeah, any of those things. Brave, Smart, Kind, hit us up on all the social media platforms, uh, Instagram probably more than anything. But, um, yeah, Brave, Smart, Kind. And right now, oddly enough, you Google Brave, Smart, Kind, you find it. Beautiful. I'll make sure that I have some of those available in the details for this podcast. I just got to tell you, PJ, Brady, <laughs> I make sure I get it right. You're a fascinating human being. You're a very humble indiv- individual. And I think you're a good example for what people should be doing or at least striving for. Thank you, John.
I sincerely appreciate it and for the work you're doing and uh, helping listeners find the information, man. The more megaphones that we find out there spreading good good stuff, then uh, the better we all are for it. So thank you for the work you're doing. Definitely. A wise person once told me nobody likes to tip, so that's why we go deep. Go deep. Go deep. Go deep. This is Go Deep Productions. Thank you for listening to Go Deep, the podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we give our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on all forms of social media. If you would like to reach out to the show, email us at GoDeepThePodcast at gmail.com. And remember, always go deep. Go deep.